Armageddon. The word has a dark, scary, heavy metal vibe, doesn't it? Or is that just me? So what exactly does Armageddon mean, and how does it help us make sense of our future? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Well, it's really great that I've got with me my local church pastor, Pastor Danny Malenkov. How are you, Danny? I'm good, thank you, Kent. Excellent. You're making a house call today to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working from home and too lazy to leave for any reason, it seems, so I even bring my interviewees to me. So, yeah, thanks for c- coming out here to Lake Macquarie. No, happy to be here, and uh, you are certainly living in a beautiful part on Lake Macquarie. Uh, if our listeners don't know already, I'm sure you may have already informed them, but you're right on the lake, so who would want to work in an office in Sydney when they have a place like this? Took the words right out of my mouth, mate. <laughs> no, it's 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 re- really good. Ve- very happy here. So, yeah, uh, listeners, if you do hear some, uh, you know, birds in the background or, or a dog barking, well, that's the sound of suburbia. <laughs> So, Danny, how's it been going so far as, you know, we're seeing COVID restrictions lift, you're a local pastor in, you know, in this community. How are things changing so far as the people you're connecting with and the, the work you do, you know, local church worship every week, that sort of thing? How's it going? Well, it, it is settling down a little bit. We're settling more into a routine. It's been uh, just over three months since we closed the doors of our church when, when those restrictions came into force during the mid, during the middle of March. And so I guess for the first month or so, we were in a bit of a flux. Everybody was in a bit of a flux, you know, to, you know, to, to know how to, how to conduct themselves in this new normal environment, as it's been termed. Since then, probably in the last month in particular, we have been able to open the church to a degree. We're able to have about 50-odd people in the church. And soon, the New South Wales government anyway, will be lifting restrictions a little more so. So we're looking to combine people having an opportunity to come together in church and worship together for the worship service, which generally begins at 11 o'clock, and at the same time enjoying uh, this small group fellowship, the Bible study hour that we have beforehand, say from about 9.30 to 10.30. So we're kind of combining those two. And yeah, people are doing different things based on what their needs are, and families are experimenting and finding new ways to enjoy the Sabbath as well. So it's been a a new experience for all of us, many of us. So we're learning a lot of things during this time, but I'm seeing it as a great blessing. It's been a great learning experience for me. I've learnt a lot of things that I wouldn't have learnt otherwise. And so, yeah, I've grown quite a lot in the last two or three or four months. Mm, yeah, we've, I, I guess a, a lot of Christians have really been challenged to think, you know, what is church, you mm. know, and yeah, and what's actually important. Um, it's interesting as, as you go around, like, you know, visiting people, contacting people, you know, whether it's family, whether it's the, you know, people in, in your local church, are, are you hearing these conspiracy theories that are going around? You know, for example, you know, COVID is a Bill Gates plot. Mm. You know, COVID is, it's all a hoax. It's actually not that deadly. You know, people are saying this and, and I think, you know, by the, by the end of July, I, I think it's a pretty safe to predict that we're going to see half a million deaths uh, around the world by then from COVID. Mm. Uh, while we've got these conspiracy theories, you know, g- going around. What's, what, what's all, all that about, do you think? What's, what's that fear all about? 
Well, there are a, uh, a ton of conspiracy theories. To be honest, I don't really have time um, to, to look into the conspiracy theories. I kind of focus my time on planting my myself in the Bible because I have found that the Bible has withstood the test of time. There have been countless conspiracy theories and countless theories down through the centuries and down through the millennia, but the Bible has always proven time and time again to be a reliable source of information, a reliable source of truth. So uh, regarding all these conspiracy theories, I share with people there is only one who knows exactly what's going on, and that is God. He is the only one that ultimately knows and understands. But what we can clearly see from not only the COVID situation, but just our whole entire world situation, that things are coming to a climax. And the Bible says that. We looked at that in our previous program when you and I were together and we looked at, you know, that the whole idea of pestilence and disease and what the Bible has to say. So these are all labor pains, as Jesus used that analogy in Matthew 24. They're all labor pains and we all know or, or we should be aware that labor pains, they increase in intensity and frequency as the delivery of the baby draws near. And so as we see the coming of Jesus drawing near, there will be more of these labor pains. Sadly, there'll be more conspiracy theories out there. With the internet, that's just a, a perfect platform for every man and his dog to be to be sharing the latest and the greatest and the weird and the most wonderful ideas. And so there will be that. And, and that's actually part of what we're going to be talking about today, because the Bible says that in the end time, there's going to be a lot of confusion there's going to be a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. You mentioned that Jesus spoke of that very clearly. So when we take a look at what the Bible says, what Jesus said, what, what the book of Revelation says, it, it's literally a word-for-word -word description of what we see happening today all around us. Mm -hmm. it, it seems that at the fringes of religious organizations, at the fringes of politics is where you hear these conspiracy theories, you know, mostly. But some of the language is not just at the fringes. Some of the language we hear is like right at center stage, you know, right in the mainstream. We hear journalists using words, and I think you know, we said this when uh, we chatted last time, you know, journalists using words like, you know, disasters of biblical proportions, mm. you know, this is an apocalyptic uh, event. But what we what, what we need to focus on today, um, what I'd like to focus on today, Danny, is the word Armageddon. Mm. We have an, an article appearing in, in this month's the June Signs of the Times magazine about Armageddon by the, the editor of our sister magazine, Signs of the Times, in the, in the US, we sort of share articles with, with one another. So he's, he's submitted this article, and I actually have heard mainstream journalists from time to time use the word Armageddon. You, you mentioned uh, you're, you're a Bruce Willis fan. You've seen the Armageddon oh, movie. I would say I'm a Bruce Willis fan, but um, <laughs> I did see bits of it. Yeah, I did see bits of that movie, Armageddon. I think it came out in 1998, if I remember correctly. And yeah, they use that term from the Bible, Armageddon, to, to speak of this, yeah, this comet. No, I think it was an asteroid, an asteroid that was heading to Earth that NASA sent up a crew to try and yeah, divert this asteroid the size of Texas mm -hmm. from coming and wiping out life on on earth and so yeah i won't go into the movie people can watch it if they want to and they can go to wikipedia and read up on it but yeah that that word is used 
to often describe the end of all things. Armageddon being, you know, this great war, this uh, possible nuclear all-out war that will destroy life on planet Earth or be it a, an asteroid or be it something else, who knows what. But, yeah, just bringing life as we know it to an end. That's what the word implies out there in the in the mainstream media and and if you ask people, that's probably what they'll tell you. Yeah, I've, I've got had that impression too, that when people use the word Armageddon, they're generally talking about some sort of World War Three, mm. possibly with a nuclear conflagration, you know, thrown in for, for good measure. Is that at all an accurate use of the word Armageddon? As I mean, the Bible only uses it once, doesn't it? That's right, yeah. The Bible uses it once. It's in Revelation chapter 16. It's in the context of the seven last plagues, and it's the sixth plague um, prior, immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. So uh, in answer to your question, is this speaking of World War Three, an all-out war? Between the nations, no. <laughs> the, the simple answer is no. This is not speaking of a physical war. This is speaking of a spiritual battle. This is, this is a, a, a war of allegiance. This is a war of worship. This is a war of who you will give your allegiance to. It's a, it's a battle for the mind and a battle for the heart. This is not uh, a battle over missiles. This is a battle over whether whether we will choose to be faithful and loyal to Jesus Christ and worship him or whether we will choose to be faithful and loyal to the enemy and worship him. It's a battle between two. It's this great controversy that will bring, that will bring this world to the point of the coming of Jesus. Okay. Yeah, I think the article in, in Signs of the Times actually indicates that, yeah, there's the, a great conflict that's been going on for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And Armageddon is some sense the last battle in that conflict. Is, is that a, a way you'd, you'd put it? That's right. Yes. Armageddon is immediately prior to the coming of Jesus. I mean, we can take a look at, at, at mm. those, at those verses. Would you like me to read those uh, verses where that term is found? Yeah, let's let's do that. But I've got I've got a question after that. Okay, I'll just read this passage, and it's uh, here in Revelation 16, and it begins in verse 12 to 16. So I'll just read the entire passage, mm-hmm. and then and then we can unpack some of the some of the main points and just deal with some of the questions. It says, "Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then Jesus here speaks, because it's in red in my Bible. Behold, says Jesus, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And now verse 16, where that word appears, and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Okay. Oh, well, this, this, I mean, that, that's a lot. I mean, if, if I was someone who was not familiar with the Bible and even, you know, for someone who is, I gotta confess, that's a sort of a lot of information and a little bit sort of confusing and, and bamboozling. But one thing I did notice there, it mentions the river Euphrates. Mm. It mentions kings coming from the east. Now, the Euphrates is a river that's like there to this day in Iraq. That's right. 
Is Armageddon also a place that, like, do we know where, where this place is geographically? Yes, we do know where this place is geographically. There isn't, anyway, the, the word Armageddon comes from two, two Hebrew words, mm-hmm. Har meaning mountain mm-hmm. and Megiddo or meaning the, a place called Megiddo. And if you go to Israel today and I had the opportunity of going there last year as well as in 2010, you can go to the valley of Megiddo. There is no mountain there called Armageddon uh, or the valley or the, I should say, the mountain of Megiddo. There is no place. There's a valley. But there is a very important mountain that overlooks the valley of Megiddo. And that mountain is Mount Carmel. Now, this... You say important. Why is, why is it important? Okay. This, this mountain is extremely significant because on Mount Carmel, if you read there in 1 Kings chapter 18, you discover that Elijah has a battle. It's a worship war with the prophets of Baal. Okay, but this, this is not a battle involving swords and shields and it's, it's not that kind of clash, is it? No, it's a spiritual battle and it's a showdown on Mount Carmel where, where the challenge is the true God will be the one that brings fire down from heaven. And so the prophets of Baal, they go first and they're not able to. And then Elijah prays and God brings fire down from heaven and consumes his sacrifice. And so the point of that battle is that took place on Mount Carmel, this, this worship war was that God was the true God. So it was, um, it was a spiritual battle between the true God and the false God. It was a spiritual battle between who you will serve. Said Elijah, will you serve the God of heaven mm. or will you serve the gods of this world or, 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 or the God who is Satan, the, the God of this world? Because this showdown that happened between the, the prophet of, of God, Elijah, and between these prophets of the, of the God Baal, the Canaanite God Baal, happened in front of all the people of Israel who, could, who were gathered there on, the, on that mountain. So they were there to witness this, this showdown. That's right, yes. There was King Ahab the king of Israel at the time, and Elijah had summoned the king and all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel for this showdown. And so the true God would be the one that would bring fire down from heaven. And so at the end of time, uh, the Bible is saying there will be a showdown Mm. between true and false worship. So, yeah. so someone who's familiar with the Bible, who, who knows the geography, will say, ah, this is similar uh, in Elijah experience. This is a spiritual showdown. This is a true God versus false God. This is, as you say, this is a, a worship battle, a, a worship war. In the end, they will make that reference. But of course, the Mount Carmel thing was, that was only for the people of Israel. This seems much larger because this is kings coming from the east, people coming from other countries as well. This is an international thing, a, a larger thing. Which would, would you say? Yes, well, it says that there will be signs, there will be signs that will be performed and in order to deceive the kings of the earth and of the whole world. So this is, this will be global and we know that the final worship war at the end of time that will, that will separate the world into two groups. One that are faithful and honor and want to worship God as the creator and the other that don't. This, this war, this worship war or this final battle of allegiance will be over the whole world and it will, it will capture every single man, woman and child on the planet. That's what the book of Revelation clearly says. Wow. That's, um, that's 
it's pretty pretty so- sobering sort of stuff, and uh, I guess hard hard to imagine in in some ways. Now, look, I, I have some um, some Muslim friends, and they also believe that there's going to be a, a last battle. There's going to be an antichrist. There's going to be Christ. There's going to be a, a prophetic figure called the Mahdi who will come and battle on the side of of God. And they believe there will be a last battle too. But there are some Muslims who actually believe they need to train themselves physically, like, you know, martial arts or weapons skills, because the people of God will be asked to fight in this last battle. What you said so far sounds quite different. Yeah, no, this, this final war will not be with, with physical artillery. This is a, a spiritual war. And the reason we know that, and I just picked this up just Today, in fact, as I was looking a little bit closer, it speaks of this battle. It uses the word battle, and there was a battle, the battle called Armageddon. That word there, battle, is also the word for war. And in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, and there was war in heaven. Now, that word war in the Greek is the word polemos. In the English, we get the word polemic. And if you look up in the dictionary, the word polemic, you discover that the word means it's a, uh, a dispute about something, an idea or a concept or an opinion. It's, 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 a, it's a war of ideas. It's a dispute. It's this, uh, you know, it's, it's this, like I said, a war, a war of ideas. And so in heaven, there wasn't a literal battle. Mm. between Christ and his angels and the devil and his angels. In Revelation 12, it says there was war in heaven. Mm. What kind of a war? It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a physical war. So at the end of time, that's that same word that's used here in the context of Armageddon. It's going to be a spiritual battle. But this battle, people will not be deciding at Armageddon because this is the sixth plague. And uh, all the decisions have already been made because before this, Revelation says there'll be two groups. Before the plagues arrive on planet Earth, there will be one group that will be sealed with the seal of God. They have chosen God. They have chosen to worship him. They have chosen to give their allegiance to him. They are sealed. They will not receive the seven last plagues. There will be another group and they sadly will receive the mark of the beast, because you've got the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Once again, just just two two options. And polar opposites. Exactly. They're polar opposites. And those who receive the mark of the beast, according to Revelation, they sadly will experience the full wrath of God, which is the seven last plagues. And, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, you know, the whole seven last plagues and, and so on and so forth. And, and how can the love of God be demonstrated through the seven last plagues. People have asked that. Maybe that's something we can we can deal with on another occasion. But this here is speaking of a time when those that have made their decision will experience the fruit of that decision. So there's no changing sides when Armageddon comes. It's it's two groups, and we know that this is two groups because um, one group faithful to Jesus, the other group, not faithful, and it's not a physical battle because you have in uh, Revelation chapter 7, and I won't take time to read the verses there, but from verses 12 to 14, there you have at the end of time this war where where the devil and, 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 and his angel and his people seek to make war on God's people. And in verse 14, it says, The Lamb 
that is Jesus Christ, the symbol for Jesus Christ, he will overcome them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him, that is his followers, his people at the end of time, they are called chosen and faithful. So Christ will be victorious. His people will be victorious in this spiritual battle. It's not a physical battle because it's impossible to fit the armies of the world in the Valley of Megiddo. It's just impossible to do that. A lot of Christians believe that, but it's impossible. You just cannot fit. And we don't, we don't fight that way anymore. You don't need armies turning up in a valley like they did thousands of years ago to fight a war, to fight a battle. Now we just use missiles, you know, missiles that can be pumped out from thousands of kilometres away, specifically designed to hit a target area. So you don't need people eyeing each other off mm, to, mm. to fight a battle today. Okay. So in, in the article by, by Mar- Marvin Moore in, the, uh, in this month's Signs of the Times, Marvin links this mention of Armageddon in, in Chapter 16 with, and he says they're preparing for battle at that point, but then he goes to Chapter 19 of Revelation and says that at this point the, all these armies of the earth gather ready to attack, but fire comes from heaven and destroys them, them all. And that's the end of the Battle of Armageddon. This, this is the way that the author of, of the article puts it. I mean, I understand, you know, Revelation is, is a difficult book in some ways. People interpret it in different ways. Do you understand there, there to be that connection between Revelation 16 and 19 and, the, and that the final, the final outcome of this battle is fire from heaven that destroys all these kings of the earth or, or not? Well, yes, I, w- I would say that would be, that would be accurate because what you have that follows the sixth plague is the seventh plague. And in the seventh plague, we have a great earthquake and uh, we have this great city, Babylon, which represents this end time alliance that is against God and his plans and, and that seeks to take away worship from God alone. This is that other side to God. And you have, you have, you have the coming of Jesus in the seventh plague. And in Revelation chapter 19, it does picture Jesus coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven. And the Bible says that those that haven't chosen Christ as their Lord and Savior, they haven't chosen him as their place of refuge, they will sadly be destroyed by the brightness of his coming, the Bible says. so. Mm. And the Bible says that God dwells in in an unapproachable light and he's a consuming fire. So the saved will welcome this fire, but the lost will sadly be destroyed by this fire. Mm, wow. Okay. Boy, that's a, that's a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of deep thoughts. And I, I guess it's difficult to separate, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned earthquakes, you know, you mentioned Jesus coming and I assume you mean these things literally. And whereas you say, you know, the battle isn't a battle with, you know, swords or bombs or, or whatever. But nevertheless, this, this destruction is, is final. This destruction is real. I guess, you know, it's sort of terrible to contemplate, but I certainly much, much prefer that to what a, a lot of people believe, which is an eternally burning hell with people, you know, being tormented and suffering forever. We don't see that picture there, do we? We see a, a final extinction into into a, oblivion do you see that as merciful is is it hard for you to, to say that or, or, to, or to see it that way the bible clearly describes that the the wages of sin is death eternal death eternal separation from god and we know that there is uh, no possibility for life to exist without god because god is 
the life source mm. of the universe. Mm. So if you choose to disconnect yourself from God, you are choosing to disconnect yourself from the only life force of the universe. Mm. And so there is nothingness. Whereas the opposite to that is true, the gift of God is eternal life mm. through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so John 3.16 makes that very clear. The two groups, one group will perish, mm. will be destroyed forever, the other group will be saved and live G- eternally. G- given the gift of immortality, which is different from the idea of having That's an immortal right. soul already. That's right. So I, I see that as a beautiful thought, that those that do not want to be part of God's plan for this new world where there will be eternal joy, peace, happiness, and love, those that do not want to live in harmony with the principles of God, which are principles founded and grounded on love, God will do the most merciful and the most loving thing that he can do and just simply wipe them out from existence. They will have no consciousness whatsoever for the rest of eternity. So this idea of those who are lost at the end of time, suffering forever and ever and ever and ever in, you know, in a lake of fire that just continually burns. That's not biblical. And that is certainly not the character of God that is portrayed in scripture. For God is a God of love. He honors freedom of choice. But those that reject him, he just simply allows them to, yeah, experience nothingness, mm. no pain, no suffering for them, for, for them mm. either. Eternal disconnection, That's as you right. said. Wow, this is all, all, all a bit sobering, all, all a bit heavy, Danny, but, and also a little bit abstract, I guess, you know, from our everyday lives. But just as we finish, because we are, you know, pretty much out of time, what would you say in terms of, you know, what difference do this, does this make? What difference does this make in terms of how we relate to God, number one? And how does this relate to how we go about living our lives now that we know this? Okay. That's a, that's a great question. And, you know, in order to answer that, I want to just simply take a look at the red letters that appear in this passage of Armageddon in the sixth plague. It's really fascinating because in the second and third chapter of Revelation, you have Jesus speaking. The words are in red. If you have a red letter Bible that, that designate the words of Jesus in red. So after chapter 3, there is no more red until you get to Revelation 16, verse 15. That's the next time the red letters appear that Jesus himself speaks. And I just want to repeat what these words are because these are the words that we need to take home. And I'm hoping and praying that that each person that listens to this podcast will take these words home and the message from them. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So a few points here. Firstly, Jesus says, behold, I am coming. Mm. That is the focus of the Bible, the second coming of Jesus. So Jesus is here encouraging us to prepare for his soon return when there will be no more pain, no more suffering. The battle of Armageddon puts an end forevermore of all the pain, suffering, and the sorrow and the sin. And Jesus said, blessed is he who watches. That reminds us of Jesus in Matthew 24 when he says, watch, Mm. you know, watch, watch, watch. And how do we watch? We watch by putting our faith and trust in God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and in his word. And he says, you know, watch and keep your garments lest you walk naked. And that reminds us that there is only one way to be ready for the coming of Jesus, one way to be ready to be on the right side of Armageddon, because we will all be in Armageddon. Mm. To be on the right side of Armageddon is 
to allow the robe of Jesus Christ righteousness for his robe to cover us, to cover our sins, and in that way we will not be naked. Now that reminds us of Revelation chapter 3 and the Laodicean message where mm. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, you are naked, but I'm giving you my robe. Mm. My beautiful, perfect robe of righteousness. So this whole message of Armageddon is couched in an appeal from Jesus for us to give our hearts and our lives to him and to be ready to meet him when he comes to be on his side when the battle of Armageddon takes place immediately prior to his coming. Wow. Hey, well, thanks so much, Danny. I really appreciate you unpacking that for us and, and, you know, joining the dots. It's a, a passage of scripture that, you know, a lot of us would be afraid to even delve into. And if we do encounter it, you know, maybe left a bit puzzled, but I think we're possibly a little clearer about it now. So yeah, thanks so much for your time. You are most welcome. And uh, may God bless you wherever you may be listening. And I pray that, that, yeah, you will seek to be ready when Jesus comes and be on his side in his everlasting kingdom of love. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. Thank you.